This is Casey Bell, host of the Shake Up Learning Show and a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. For more great podcasts, visit edupodcastnetwork.com and get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. I think one wise shift that we need to make is don't think control, think connect. Mm -hmm. Don't think control, think connect. So as human beings, it's very natural for us when things go awry, maybe the classroom is not being managed really well, there's chaos there for us to try to control it, okay? In fact, we even call it classroom management. Mm -hmm. But uh, you and I both have talked about this. People don't wanna be managed, and I don't know that you really manage any teenager's attitude. So, but if I seek connection, um, I may not get control. In fact, I won't get control, but I will get connection and influence with them. Welcome to the Burned In Teacher Podcast. I'm Amber Harper, and the educators on this podcast are brave enough to share their stories of burnout with the world. On BIT, we get real, we get honest, and we take action. Action against the burnout with stories from burned out teachers, advice from experts, and actionable steps you can take today to beat the burnout and become a happier, more fulfilled human being. Let's get started. Hello, Burned In Teacher friends. Welcome to the Burned In Teacher podcast. I'm Amber Harper, your host, and this is, as always, one part burnout and all other parts action, inspiration, and support for teachers dealing with burnout. During the time of this recording, and of course, if you're listening during the month of May, we are focusing all of our attention on classroom and behavior management is burning me out. Last week, you had the opportunity to hear me have a conversation with a couple of my Burned In Teacher Facebook group members, Sarah and Alexandra, and they shared their experiences and opinions about classroom management. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. So jump in the Burned In Teacher Facebook group and share your thinking or your questions. And of course, you can always email me at support at burnedinteacher.com to ask me questions or seek support and help from me as well. Before we get started with today's interview with Dr. Tim Elmore, and I'm so excited to share it with you, I want to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by the Renew, Recharge, and Reignite Teacher Retreat that my good friend Kim Strobel and I are co-hosting together in Nashville, Indiana on June 10th and 11th. If you are bogged down and burned out by increased workloads and expectations, lack of support from administration, interference from parents, and the struggle to find a manageable work-life balance, this is definitely the retreat for you. This retreat is being put on by educators for educators, and we will be covering many different topics that affect teacher happiness and well-being every day. If you attend, you're going to experience important lessons on how to balance all of those workloads, how to stop the shame and own your burnout, the science of happiness, understanding your teacher brand, happiness habits part one and two. The list goes on and on with all of the different resources, lessons, and skills that you need to be the happiest, most fulfilled educator that you can possibly be in the 2019-2020 school year. Of course, it's not all resources, strategies, and lessons. We have to make some time for rest and for time to meet and connect with other educators so that you can go into your new school year rested, renewed, recharged, and reignited to be the best teacher that you can possibly be in school and the best human that you can be out of school. So go to burnedinteacher.com slash retreat to learn more and of course to register. I'll see you in June. All right, now it's time for me to introduce you to today's guest, and I'm so excited and so honored that he took some time to speak with us. His name is Dr. Tim Elmore, and he's the founder and president of Growing Leaders, a nonprofit organization created to develop emerging leaders. He and his team equip secondary school students, college students, and recent graduates from thousands of campuses across the U.S. and around the world to think and act like authentic leaders. Since founding Growing Leaders, Tim has spoken to more than 500,000 students, coaches, teachers, and parents. Tim's expertise on the emerging generation and generational diversity has led to media coverage in the Huffington Post, the Wall Street Journal, Forbes.com, USA Today, and the Washington Post. 
Tim is the author of more than 30 books, including the best-selling Generation IY, Our Last Chance to Save the Future, Habitudes, Images that Form Leadership Habits and Attitudes, and his latest book entitled Marching Off the Map, which was released in July 2017. Now, I know of Dr. Elmore because I was lucky enough in that space between um, working at the nonprofit that I was leading as executive director and joining my new school, I got to see him speak and I got to I got to attend one of his growing leader conferences in Atlanta, Georgia. And it really opened my eyes to the need to really foster these conversations about what true leaders do with our students. So I'm really excited to introduce him. And in this episode, he doesn't just dive into how to foster those relationships and change the way that we approach how we're leading these future leaders. He shares some very intimate details of the steps that he goes through whenever he is experiencing burnout. And believe it or not, even even in his 40 plus years of working um, in education and then working for John Maxwell, as you'll hear in this interview, he's gone through several seasons of burnout himself. And I am telling you, the advice that he has to give you out there suffering with burnout is invaluable. So let's get into this interview. And at the end of it, we'll come around and we will pull out the biggest tips and takeaways that you can take with you into your week. Dr. Tim Elmore, thank you so much for joining us on the Burned It Teacher podcast. I'm so honored to have you here today. It's my pleasure, Amber. Thanks. So will you please tell us a little bit about you? I know I have some background. I was lucky enough to attend a conference several years ago, and you really inspired me to inspire others. But can you let us know a little bit about your professional background? Sure, absolutely. Well, I lead a nonprofit organization based in Atlanta, but we're all over the world and it's called Growing Leaders. And our goal is to really partner with educators and schools to equip the next generation of adults, but not just, not just graduates that get, got through school and wiped their brow and said, thank God I'm done with that, but people that are really ready to thrive in their careers. So they're leaders, they think and act like leaders. And I mean by that, not just people with a position of leadership, but with a disposition of leadership. They think and act like leaders, they see the big picture. They're good with people. They know the priorities. They have a vision for the future. So we partner with schools, people like yourself and, and myself, I suppose, to really put tools in their hands to equip kids with social emotional learning, uh, leadership skills, character-based skills. So that's what I get to do. And I love my work and I love the educators I get to meet every year. Fun. And you're so, so good at it. When I attended your conference in Atlanta back in summer of 2015, I was so inspired by the information that you shared and the research and how impactful we can be as the leaders of these growing leaders and helping wow, them yeah. to push, position them into hopefully um, taking action and becoming a leader of their own life as well. Yeah, so, that's what we want for. Can you tell me a little bit about how you do that? What are some things that you do and offer um, yeah. educators and schools around the world to help to serve these kids? I feel like over the nearly 40 years of my career, Amber, I have come to the conclusion that we grown-ups have put far too much stock in events, whether it's a conference or an assembly or a retreat or whatever, you know, the, the big event that you go and get goosebumps and you just say, oh, this was awesome. And we put far too little stock in the process, meaning that time after the event where we actually do the ideas that we talked about at the event. So what we offer to schools are both events and process. So we'll come on uh, site and do an in-service training for educators, for uh, heads of school principals, for teachers to better engage their kids in class. But then we also offer something called Habitudes. You've heard of these. I have, and my daughter, who's a 17-year-old, she actually was handed this book in one of her classes, and I said, oh, my gosh, Hannah, this is such a great opportunity for you, oh, because this book well, is incredible. You're a great mom. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. But um, habitudes, for the listeners' sake, habitudes are simply images that form leadership habits and attitudes. So it's a way of starting a conversation with the power of an image. And because we all believe pictures are worth a thousand words, these pictures inevitably lead to a, an organic, fresh conversation that might even be different if you went through the image last year, and now this year you're in a different place inside your brain. So um, it's fun to see the conversations that start about real life, not just theories and math equations and so forth. 
that we think are what they most need. I do believe in reading, writing, arithmetic, no doubt about it. But I think in addition to that, sometimes you get a kid that was 4.0 in class, but we're not able, not able to translate that to a job or to a family that they want to lead. So that's our goal is to help them as whole people when they get done with school and, and their leaders. Yeah. I love that so much. And I think that I, it's so true what you're saying. So one of the images that I can think of, and images are so extremely powerful. Um, but one of the images that I remember from the book is the velvet brick. Yes. And yeah. to me, that stuck with me because it's, you know, it's that balance of strength yeah. and yet softness yeah. for lack yeah. of a better term at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, and I think that's so hard. So, you know, to sometimes imagine what our students may say when they see something like that, but you can learn so much by what they connect with those images. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah. In fact, can I volley back real quick? Yeah, um, yeah. We found because they're images, they engage the right hemisphere of the brain, not just the left hemisphere. And um, there are layers of reality in each one of these images. Let me give you a good example. I was just with a group of high school seniors, so they're 17 years old, and uh, we talked about the compass and the GPS. That was one of our images. And I basically said to all the students, the compass and the GPS both have to do with navigation, right? But here's the big difference. A GPS says turn left, turn right, turn left, turn right, turn left to get your destination. Mm -hmm. But it only works if you know where you're going. Mm -hmm. What happens if you're out there and you don't know where you're going? Isn't that where most graduates are? They're, I don't know what I want to do. And so we say that's where you need a compass. Uh, a compass will show you your true north as you make decisions. So even if you don't know the ends, you know how to stay true north. Well, every parent nods like you're nodding right now. Yes, I want my child to have a true north. Well, I teach this to the students. And one of the young ladies comes up to me and, and she gets me in tears because she says, Dr. Elmore, I just got to thinking. A magnet throws off a compass. And it's true. If you hold a magnet next to a compass, that true north, because it's magnetized, starts throwing the needle off. And she goes, I just got to thinking while you were talking, there's three magnets that are throwing me off that are tempting me in areas I shouldn't be tempted in. And she goes, I identified them. And she said, I need a stronger compass to withstand again. And I thought, oh my gosh, you're teaching me. And I could be your father right now. But that's what happens with kids. They're insightful. If you throw them a picture and say, what do you think? So anyway, it's been, it's been fun along the journey to hear that happen over and over and over. It's incredible when you give students their own voice yes. and their own ability to apply their own life experiences. Absolutely. That opportunity is, yeah. 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 That gives them a lot of opportunity to connect and, and get to know you and you get to know them a little bit better as well. So I even want to back up further so you are Dr. Tim Elmore. So can you tell us a little bit about your history in education yeah. or what it is that you did before Growing Leaders? Okay, yeah, absolutely. So I started teaching students, high school students, in 1979. So that scares me to say that. That's 40 <laughs> years ago. But um, I'm still just as passionate today as I was then about high school kids, college kids, uh, young, young adults. Mm -hmm. So um, I would say at Growing Leaders, our target is 12 years old to 24 years old, but the bulls of our target would be your daughter. It's 16 to 24. We feel like at that stage, they're making big decisions about their future. They're deciding what they what direction they want to go, even if it's in pencil, they're deciding it. So um, we that's my target now. So I taught students starting in 1979, uh, and I continue to teach, but in 1983, I actually went on staff with Dr. John C. Maxwell. And if you know wow. anything about John Maxwell, he's this leadership guru. Yes, yeah. Written, oh my gosh, 100 books on leadership, best-selling books. Uh, and so that was an undeserved privilege, I'll admit, right away. So that was back in 1983. And I would say, Amber, I was with John when he still had time to mentor about three or four of us. And I was personally mentored by this great leader. And I always tell people I didn't have to unlearn a lot of bad habits in leadership because I had this great leader that taught me the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I fast forward, I stayed with John 20 years. So he started a nonprofit called Equip that was teaching leaders around the world and, and uh, missionaries and business leaders and nonprofit leaders in India and so forth. But all the while, we're teaching these leaders all over the world under John Maxwell's umbrella. I kept thinking, 
what would happen if we could get this to the kids? This leadership thing, not just reading, writing, arithmetic, but this leadership thing to the students. What John's doing for a 48-year-old, what if we could do it for a 16-year-old? Mm-hmm. And so Growing Leaders was birthed out of that journey. And with John's blessing, he said, you should do this. So in many ways, Growing Leaders is doing for the next generation what John is doing, I think, for corporate leaders now who are maybe in midlife and trying to figure out how to lead something. And again, I told you already, but I love what I get to do. I get to meet the best kids in the world and I get to meet educators like yourself that I just fall in love with. And, and uh, we try to put tools in their hands to, to better do their job. That's incredible. So I have two other places that I want to go in this conversation. The first one is, of course, because this is the Burned In Teacher podcast, and we are tackling the topic of teacher burnout. I'd love to hear a time that, that you yourself have gone through burnout and what it is that you have done to tackle it and take care of it. And the other thing I would like to talk about then is the theme of this month of May yeah. is is classroom management that all encompassing role yeah. of being yeah. a classroom manager yeah. how difficult that is and now last month i had Lori desatels on from butler university yeah. yeah and she she made the statement that you can't control someone else's behavior it yes, shouldn't be called right. you can't manage somebody else yes yes um so i thought it was <laughs> it was perfect that in may when we're talking about classroom management that we actually you know have this conversation especially with you about how it is that we can um address classroom management in a different yeah. way to reach those Good. kids but Good. let's start with the burnout piece okay have you in your career faced burnout and what did it what is it that you did about it mm-hmm. Okay, so I can think of three specific seasons of my career in the 40 years that I've gone through extreme burnout. I won't go through all the details, but the first one was 1985, so I was in my 20s, and I remember distinctly, it was just a very, very, very difficult time. Um, I began to find for the first time there were people that didn't like me, and that happens to every human being on planet Earth, but that was the first time. I'd always believe my mother that everybody would love me, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> so that was hard. And then I remember 1996, about 11 years later, later, I was in Denver, Colorado, and I went through this period of burnout. And then, and then most recently, I'm going to get really transparent here, um, a real recent period of time, like uh, last month where uh, we were going through a very difficult season. We're just not coming out of it, but it's a time of, of um, needing to let people go and having some turnover in our office. And I know every organization goes through seasons like this. It's normal, the cost of doing business, but it was hard because I was doing two full-time jobs and then trying to write a book. So other than that, I was bored to tears. But uh, anyway, here's what I would say um, were, the, were the symptoms that I look for. And then I, I'll, I'll be glad to share kind of what I've done to get through them. Absolutely. Um, I know for me, if I'm going through a season of burnout, I just get quiet and go in my cave. Uh, now, maybe that's a man thing. I don't know if you can share what the women's do, women do, but I just go in my cave. My wife could tell that I was just struggling. Now, I didn't, you know, I didn't come out yelling, screaming, cussing or anything like that. I just got really quiet and she could tell he's stressed, you know, and this is, this is not good. Um, so I... Um, I, I usually go through those times and then I actually start withdrawing from some of the very relationships that were the life-giving relationships that I needed. It's so contrary. It's so counterintuitive. You know, we need to be running to people that will refuel us. And I was running from them. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe because I didn't want to answer the questions or, you know, all the stuff we don't want to do. I'm too tired. I'm too tired. In fact, that's the problem. We're so tired. We can't deal with our tired. So um, let me tell you a couple of principles that I try to practice. Um, the first two are, are habitudes, which will not surprise you, but I really try to practice them. You try to practice what you practice. Absolutely. That's right. <laughs> well, and really many of the habitudes I came up with out of my own need, out of my own holes and vacuum. So the first one you might remember, it's called the starving baker. Yes. Uh, it's probably the number one occupational hazard for educators. So I won't go through the whole teaching here, but in a nutshell, the starving baker is the baker that spends so much time baking bread for others, he or she forgets to eat and starves themselves. Does this not sound familiar? We're doing programs and lesson plans, and we're always helping somebody else, but we've not stopped down to make sure we're fed ourselves. These so are the always teachers. Never fed. Yeah, isn't this teachers? 
I love that you said that always feeding, never fed. That is, that's very powerful. Mm -hmm. And by the way, we love to be servant leaders. We love to be, you know, we should be serving. It wasn't, you know, in fact, that's the problem. We go, well, I should be making sacrifice. Of course you should, but not at the expense of you being good at what you do next week, next month, next year. So I'm preaching, I'm preaching to the choir right now, but Mm -hmm. I would say what I try to do, especially in those times of burnout is I go back to the starving baker habitude and I go back to what's going to feed me. And so it's, um, it's books that I know will refuel me. I try to read two a month. It's events or conferences that I know will recharge me. And I know that's an event, not a process, but I try to get to events that I know will recharge me. I subscribe to 11 magazines. I know that's way too much, but I try to, it's, it's input that just is fresh and makes me think fresh thoughts and not old thoughts again. Mm-hmm. And then I specifically have mentors, and I'll talk more about that in just a minute, that I'm able to go to that are people that don't sap me, they fill me. And um, I would say that's how I make sure that I'm fed emotionally as well as intellectually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would even say refreshed in every way. It's just doing something different. Uh, Winston Churchill once said, change is as good as rest. Meaning just doing something different is, is as good as a nap, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. So starving baker. The other real quick habitude before you volley back is another one that's also in the first course. It's called emotional fuel. And emotional fuel basically says this, in the same way that automobiles run on gasoline as fuel, leaders run on emotional fuel. And that emotional fuel are the intentional relationships they place in their life to make sure they're filled. And now I started to allude this uh, uh, just a minute ago. I actually believe that most of us as people let our relationships in our life be accidental. Whoever happens to enter my life in the teacher's lounge or wherever, they happen to be my friend. And of course that happens. But I think great leaders are intentional about going after people that will fill them. So I'll make this brief, but I think we all need mentors, even if we are mentors. So I've got six people in my life I meet with throughout this year, 2019, that are pouring into me, even though I'm pouring into others. I have models meaning they are role models who do what I'd like to do, but they're five steps ahead of me, okay? So it might be someone in a career. Let's say you're a teacher and you want to be an administrator. Maybe you meet with an administrator, you know, that sort of thing. Heroes. I think kids need heroes, but I think adults need heroes. And, I, and a hero can be somebody that's died long ago, but you look, to, you look up to them and you admire them for the life that they have lived. So I've got heroes, some dead, some alive, but I have them as pictures for me. Uh, and then I have an inner circle. Those are the people that you can let your hair down and just vent with and see a movie with and laugh your head off with. And I know this is not a news flash, but listeners, you've got to have an inner circle that you can just, that's intentional. You, you know you're going to meet with them. You're not hoping to God they call you. You're, you're setting up those meetings. Yeah. Uh, and then I think we also need, um, oh gosh, well, mentees, I'll do, I'll do this, the last one. Mentees, I think, refill me because even though I'm pouring into them, mentees keep me straight because I don't want to mess up since I have someone watching me. So anyway, there's six categories that I try to um, make sure I've got um, relationships in my life that are filling my tank so when I, I can come out of the burnout uh, and I come out well. So mm-hmm. I'll stop there. I actually have a think time, Amber, uh, I have a special place in my home. It's my home office, but I will sit and think. And I know that might sound even funny to somebody listening going, well, don't you always think? No, nope, not always. Would you not agree? The, the world right now is so full of noise and clutter. We got podcasts, we got Instagram, we got you know social media in general. And I think we don't turn it off and just think sometimes. Mm-hmm. I get refueled just thinking if I'll stop and think. So think time would be another one. Um, so yeah, those are, those are the primary, uh, things that I have going on week to week and month to month that make sure that I, I don't run out of gas mm-hmm. along the way. And I'm, I'm filled, my tummy's filled intellectually and emotionally uh, along yeah. the way. Yeah. So a couple of things that you said there really stuck with me. So first of all, uh, you just talked about getting quiet and thinking, yeah. um, I, for one, you know, just like a lot of people now, I enjoy noise. I have to have music in the background or I'm listening to a book or I'm listening to a podcast um, or I'm feeling like I need to be talking to someone on the phone, you know, all the time. I, you know, getting quiet is something that takes a lot of mental strength. 
Um, That's actually one thing that Amy Morin in her book, 13 Things That Mentally Strong People Don't Do. That's one thing that she talks about is they're they're not always consumed with noise. And that's something that I've tried to bring into my own life is when I go for a walk, I go for a walk. I don't take my phone because I find myself on Marco Polo or texting or even scrolling through Facebook. And that's not serving my brain. I'm not thinking. Yes, I agree. yeah. Um, and the other thing that, that you brought up is, is your mentors and those intentional relationships. Yeah. I consistently tell teachers that I work with and my children, by the way, yeah. you are the average of the five people that you spend yeah. the most time with. Yeah. There are people that you cannot control who you're with, your teaching team, yes. your, your colleagues, you know, and you yeah. know what, by happenstance, if you end up being really great friends and great friends, meaning that you really do hang outside, hang out together outside of school, even yeah. if you move on or they move on, that's excellent. But having people that are, like you said, five steps ahead of you, yeah. or they yeah. are in a role that you want to be in, yeah. or they yeah. are living the type of life, and I don't mean by those you know, physical things, but they're living that type of life that you strive to live, whether it's you know a life of financial freedom or you know a life out of debt or you know an active lifestyle or a, a strong family um, lifestyle, um, or they love to travel and you want to be able to do that. Those are the types of people that you need to spend the most time with. Yeah. And I know sometimes we can get stuck in that trap of, well, you know, I work with these five people in my school and this is just the way they've always done it. And even though I don't agree with it, uh, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to um, continue to just oblige them. I'm going to do what yeah. they've always done. I'm just going to stay yeah. where they are. And that can be really dangerous. Absolutely. In fact, I think that really effective and successful people aren't victims of their circumstances. They make sure and create new ones. In addition, like you said, you may be in some situations that you need to be in. But um, I would say I am way more intentional about my friendships now than ever. Mm-hmm. In fact, in fact, this is funny. One of my mentors is a focus mentor. Really? Be in the area of focus because I tend to be an unfocused, I want to do everything sort of guy. And I need you I think to put me in touch with week. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. His name is Tim Desopoulos. He happens to be the president of Chick-fil-A. I live in Atlanta and mm-hmm. he is the most focused person I know. He has his day mapped out in 10 minute increments. It's crazy. But when I meet with him for breakfast, I treat for breakfast. I bring my pad of questions. I throw them out to him and I leave with a full stomach and a full brain with his insight on how he lives out focus. So I have a specialist in different areas. I have a communication mentor, a focus mentor, a finance mentor, uh, a negotiation mentor. So um, I just want to encourage listeners, one way out of burnout is to find areas you want to grow in and just find people that are ahead of you mm-hmm. and meet with them. So, yeah. yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up because I've actually written blog posts and done episodes on both of those things. One of the uh, one of the uh, blog posts was titled uh, "Don't Be a Victim of Cir- Circumstance, uh, Be a Taker of Chance." So Ooh, it's one of those good. things where taking risks to get out of that rut rather than just staying where you are and saying, "Well, yeah. this is just the way it is." I also have written about and uh, done podcast episodes where I've mentioned the fact that you know some people are lucky enough to maybe have one hero in their life that encompasses all of the things. Um, I am not one of those people. I have found my own mentors, my own guides through different pieces of my life. And that is what has worked for me. I know who I can turn to when I have a question about this part of my life. I know who I can count on when I need support in this area of my life. Right. Right. Having those, um, having those people that can, um, that I can call or text or email, um, when I just have a simple question or on the other hand, if I'm really struggling with something, you know, having those people at my disposal, I feel incredibly lucky to have, but they didn't just happen into my life. A lot of them, I actually sought out myself. Yes. Right. You had to go after them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So tell us a little bit now with the theme, uh, being classroom management. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what advice you can give teachers if they are, and I know that most of us are, if they are struggling with managing these either tiny or same-sized humans in their classrooms every day. I would say um, I have gotten, I've, I've taken a few steps forward by shifting my approach. 
So I'm just going to talk out of my own experience and everybody can kind of eat the fish and spit out the bones here. <laughs> but um, one is uh, something you may have heard me say before, Amber. I think one wise shift that we need to make is don't think control, think connect. Mm -hmm. Don't think control, think connect. So as human beings, it's very natural for us when things go awry, maybe the classroom is not being managed really well, there's chaos there for us to try to control it. Okay. In fact, we even call it classroom management. Mm -hmm. But I, you and I both have talked about this. People don't want to be managed. And I don't know that you can really manage any teenager's attitude. So, but if I seek connection, um, I may not get control. In fact, I won't get control, but I will get connection and influence with them. So by seeking connection, what I mean is I seek that relationship with that person that's struggling or is the little rebel or whatever. And I'm going after a heart connection. By the way, this is a parenting principle too, isn't it? Oh, it uh, sure is. Try to control a teenager. Good luck with that. You connect with them and listen. Oh my gosh. Now, again, they're still themselves, but they see how you're leaning in, building a bridge to them, not a wall from them. It's just huge. So that would be one. Make sure, listeners, if you're thinking about those one or two or three instigators of trouble that cause classroom management to be difficult, I would say this is huge. Don't think control, think connect. Here's another one. I really recommend uh, don't think rules, think equations. So again, when things go awry, we tend to want to just add to the rule list, you know, and that's what our federal government does. We just have more legislation going through Washington, D.C., as if that's going to help us as, you know, moral people. I think what we need is to clearly communicate up front and then throughout the semesters or whatever system we're on, um, equations. Now, you know what an equation is. Of course. An equation is, if you do this, that's the benefit. If you do that, this is the consequence. So in, a, in essence, it still kind of works like a rule, but I don't know one kid that likes rules. I do know kids that prefer equations. I see that I can make a trade-off, and it's up to me what I do. Uh, even as a mother, I bet, with your own kids, you probably thought, I'm going to lay out this trade-off. And whether you call it equations or not, that's really what it was. So how this often looks is you say, well, if you do this, I just want you to know, I want you to do this because I'd love to give you an A. I want to give you an A or whatever. But then when they make a, a different call, ah, you made a bad call there. And at our house with our own, I did it with our own two kids. They might lose their phone for a day or two or whatever it is, but they know. And I remind them, remind them, remind them, you made this call. You made this call. Boy, next time you ought to make a different call because this was all up to you. I did not want to take your phone. I do not need another phone. Mm -hmm. So ha, 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 you know, that whole thing. So I really think even though it might some, seem like an issue of semantics, I think equations, that's how life works. You and I both pay mortgage or rent. We both pay bills. Those are all equations. Try not paying them. That's an equation. Yeah. So I think the sooner we can get kids ready to, to deal with equations, the better off they understand life itself along the way. Now, let me do, oh, go ahead. And then well, I, was, I got one. I was just going to say, I think that what goes along really well with these two things that you just said, connect over control and then uh, equations over rules. I think with, you know, good old Stephen Covey, understanding yeah. before trying yeah. to be understood, yeah. you know, yeah. giving them a chance to explain themselves rather yeah. than just laying that hammer down, you know, no has been and that's been something that's been um, difficult for me as a mother. And it was hard for me as a teacher because wow. that is not the yeah. type of parenting that I was shown. It yep. was you nailed you. That's you right. Know? And that's just, right. Well, <laughs> and whether I, or not my explanation. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> they didn't even bother to hear. Yeah. They didn't even bother to hear it. Yeah. Um, you know, um, I have thought for years, Amber, kids do not need Kids do not have the innate need to get their own way. They do have the innate need to be heard. And when we do seek to understand before being understood, all of a sudden we hear something that may change the game. So do you mind if I share a quick story? It's a great illustration of what you're talking about. Yes, please. So one of my favorite principals over the last five years that I've gotten to inter interface with, he's now retired. He was a principal up in um, Washington State. But his name was Jim Sporleader, and I love telling his story. So his la the last school he was in charge of was Lincoln High School. It was an alternative high school. So it was one of those high schools that kids go to as a last chance, last ditch effort before you, get, before you have to get your GED instead of your high school diploma. Mm -hmm. 
So his, oh my gosh, his school was full of at-risk kids socially and academically, and they were angry oftentimes from not good homes oftentimes. So real quick case study. Uh, Jim immediately, when he became principal, said, I want to do the disciplinary incidents. And I, I, APs, I'll take that. And they were all too happy to give him the disciplinary incidents. And then um, let's, let's say one afternoon, a kid drops an F-bomb in a class, and that's a no-no. They get set down to the principal's office. As they walk in the principal's office, here's what Jim would do that was so much what you just described, Amber. They would walk in. He would not say a word. He just wanted the emotions to kind of dial down. He just motioned to them to take a seat. And so seething with anger, looking for a fight, they would sit down in silence. And pretty soon the emotions are kind of dying down as he still stays at his desk and waits a minute or two. When he feels like it's time, Jim will then stand up, walk out from behind that huge barrier he was sitting behind, sit down in a chair just two or three feet away from this student lean in and eyeball to eyeball say this. He would say, wow, what just happened in there? That doesn't sound like you. Are you okay? Did anything happen maybe at home that I don't know about? Jim said in his own story, 90% of the time, the kid would just burst open with the story. Dad just left us. Mom's on crack. My sister's getting abused by my uncle or whatever, you fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. But then they had a point of connection. Suddenly he's connecting. Now he's not a psychologist, but he's a leader. But listening to them, suddenly we get past, don't you know the F-bomb's the wrong thing to do? You know, they, they knew that rule. They didn't need the rule. What they needed was somebody to lead them out of that emotional mess they're in. And when he did, he still handed out an ISS, an in-school suspension. So he was velvet and brick there. Right, there it but, is. Um, but he said most of the time that student would return to the class and apologize to everybody without the prompting of an adult, just because they'd kind of gotten their equilibrium back. Now, I'll stop there, but my point is, here's a leader that sought connection, not control. It was equations, not rules. And um, I just believe he did the right thing that leaders need to do to manage the class because you love those students the way you knew you needed to love them. I think that's well, the end. What you just described here is what Dr. Desatel's called co-regulation. Ah, uh, yeah, which good, was, good. Was just about that connection, with just trying to understand, bringing down that emotional yes. level, you know, to where you could just have a conversation yes. and yeah. check in, check in rather yes, than I love that. You know, check out. <laughs> I love that. That's so, isn't that what we need? Yeah, so, and I don't know one adult that has a boss that wouldn't want a a boss. Yes to do with them if they were having a rough day. I know that I have done or said things in my professional life at school where I, I did, I would have really appreciated them asking what was going on rather yes. than yeah. having the hammer laid down yeah. on me. Yes. Um, you know, yeah. as, as a professional, you know, let's, let's yeah. talk about this. What's going yeah. on. This isn't like you, you know? Yeah. Well, I heard one psychologist say it this way, instead of asking what's wrong with you, ask what's happened to you or what's mm -hmm. happened happening around you. That's what we need. Mm -hmm. So I have one more quick yes. shift on classroom management. Mm -hmm. uh, the last shift I think is don't think engagement, think empowerment. Mm. Now there's a lot of educators today talking about both these subjects, student engagement, which we all believe in and student empowerment. Here's what I think the difference is for me. Student engagement basically is, I'm going to get you engaged with my curriculum, with my lesson plan, with my outcomes. So I really feel good if that Josh or that Jessica in that classroom really gets on board with what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Empowerment is we as the educator get on board with what they want to do. Now, I know we got to draw the line somewhere, but I actually believe when we're educators who say, students, what do you want to do? And suddenly it's their idea. They own it. They're practicing metacognition. Oh my gosh, management's the least of our worries. In fact, we got to slow them down. And, you know, I know uh, educators that do this, that kids want to come into school on Saturdays. Mm -hmm. What kid does that? Well, a kid that's been empowered. So real quick story. 
Um, I have a lot of educational heroes around the country. Julie Diaz is a principal in Houston, Texas. So she's an administrator, mm -hmm. but um, she has been really built. She's been using habitudes in her school to build student leaders across the entire student body. But she took a group of those students and met with them individually, leader to leaders. So here's the principal of the school meeting with these 16, 17 year old high schoolers. Mm -hmm. And one day she said, students, what do you think our school really needs? So instead of saying, get on board with my idea, she wants to get on board with their idea. Well, they go, Miss Diaz, this school is so drab. We need to, this school, they, they use the word drab. And she goes, what do you mean drab? She, they said, well, just look around you. All the walls were beige or brown. And they go, this is a drab school. Our school colors are black and red. We should, we should fix this school up. And so Julie, like most good administrators, said, well, let me check the budget and I'll see if I can get a budget for some more paint. Mm -hmm. Well, she came back the next week and said, I'm so sorry, we have no budget. Of course, no budget to any extra line items on the, on the, on the budget. Well, they said in response, what if we did it? Can you turn this over to us? And I'm so glad Julie said, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So here's what they did in a nutshell. Those students went out and took this project on. The first thing they did was a crew of them went down to Sherwin-Williams and they got $1,500 worth of paint donated to the school. Wow. Kids can do what adults can't. Is that not true? <laughs> right? They're, yes. they're cute. We're not cute, okay? <laughs> so, um, but that wasn't enough. They still needed to raise some more money for paint rollers and brushes and equipment. So they did fundraisers, all student-driven. They raised the rest of the money. And then the students were allowed to get on the intercom from Julie and just recruit. They recruited, I think it was a couple of Saturdays, over a hundred students to come in for free and paint the school. Now, Julie was down there, well, as well as some other chaperones, right. but Amber, I walked to that school this past year. It was beautiful, still is beautiful. And what she loves the most is those students so own that project, they get mad at each other when they bump into the walls because they might scratch the paint. Just watch out, that's, that's the wall I painted, you know? And yeah. I'm going, that sounds like my father at, the, you know, at my house. But that's what you want. You want kids owning that school because it's, theirs. Mm -hmm. it's their school. Yeah. So I think classroom management is important, but I think the quickest way to get there is there a way we can empower our kids by allowing them to do what they really want to do. And then we make it an educational experience. Right. Wow. Yeah. I love, I love what you had to say. So connect over control, yep. equations over rules and engagement versus empowerment. Yeah. yeah. What I love about those three tips or those, uh, those three ways of thinking is that a teacher can do what they want with, with those ideas. Yeah, yes, yes. So they, no matter what age group, you know, I know you said that you work between with between 12 and 24 year olds, but yeah. this could easily be applied even to a, a kindergarten classroom. Absolutely. You know, yeah. all you do is modify and adjust mm -hmm. to match their needs and, and what it is that yeah. you're doing. I, I love that. That is very, very helpful. Do you have anything else that you think would be of service to the listeners of the Burned In Teacher podcast before we sign off today? Yeah. Well, um, I love your audience, Amber, and I think you're doing an outstanding job, by the way, of being real and yet being professional as well and being practical. Um, one resource or two that I might point out, um, last year uh, I did a book called Marching Off the Map that really talks about some of these changes to better engage and empower students. In fact, I even have a chapter on metacognition. So Marching Off the Map is a book that might be helpful. It comes with a free um, tra travel guide that allows you to kind of scribble out what you're gonna do in response to each chapter. So oh, that might be fantastic. helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's at growingleaders.com. We try to match Amazon prices there. Marching Off the Map at growingleaders.com. And then um, I do a blog um, three times a week where I just talk about these kinds of subjects. And if anybody would love to get that, that's obviously free. And it's just a quick article, much like yours, mm -hmm. that just tries to help them uh, stay equipped. And that's, again, at growingleaders.com. So that might be helpful along the way. Fantastic. Well, we will have links to all of those resources in the show notes for sure. There's one more piece of today's interview that I don't always get to do anymore because we have such deep conversations about serving these teachers, but it's called the burned in teacher lightning round. So basically okay. what it is, it's just a couple of this or that questions that you answer, you know, whichever one comes to mind as what you okay. would 
between these two options. Okay, uh -huh. are you ready? I'm ready. I think I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Breakfast or dinner? Oh gosh, I'm a breakfast guy. I love both. I love food in general, but breakfast for me, a good breakfast, it's hard to beat. All right. Um, mountains or beach? Oh gosh, I love both. But I guess if I had to choose, I'd go to the beach. I love the sunshine. I lived in San Diego for many years and the beaches were fun. Yeah. Oh, I love San Diego and I also I love beaches, too. so I'm right there with you. All right. Digital watch or analog? Oh gosh, I think digital. I'm trying to keep up with the world that I'm living in, you know? So I believe in being timely and timeless. And so I would say digital on that one, yeah. And finally, comedy or drama? Oh gosh, you know, that probably depends on the evening. Mm -hmm. uh, I love both, but um, I do love to laugh. And sometimes I think laughter really is the best medicine. So I if totally agree. burnt out or whatever. Laughing is very difficult to beat. So probably I choose comedy on that one. I'm yeah. with you there too. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Elmore, for your time. This is just invaluable information. I can't wait to get it out to our listeners. Amber, thanks for what you do. I, I hope you never stop. And, uh, <laughs> I don't just, plan on it. <laughs> there you go. That's good. I appreciate being on this with you. Thanks. See, I told you, gold, pure gold. I mean, not only, you know, we're focusing, of course, on classroom management and, you know, building relationships with our students this month, but the advice that he gives for dealing with his burnout and how we can bring those practices into our lives is incredible. So that's where we're going to start. So Dr. Elmore says he can tell when he's struggling with feelings of burnout because these are the things that he does. He's getting quiet. He gets quiet. He becomes reclusive. He, in fact, he even said that he finds himself withdrawing from relationships that are the life-giving relationships that he really needs. He said, I should be running to these people. And instead, I find myself running from them. And then he describes it as he's so tired, he can't deal with his tired. And I think this is a really important thing for us to take away. If you are self-aware enough to notice the signs of things not being normal, it's really time for you to stop, pay attention, respect those feelings, and move on to action steps. Sitting inside of those not normal feelings and just expecting them to go away, how is that working for you? So here are the things that Dr. Elmore says that he does whenever he knows that he's going through a season of burnout, and they're so good. He actually practices what he preaches. So he talks about going into this idea of habitudes, which he explained are these images that we can interpretate and bring into our lives and help to teach us lessons. So he remembers the starving baker, you know, this idea of this baker who's baking so much bread for everybody else, he's not feeding himself. So he asks himself, what, what's going to feed me? And what feeds Dr. Elmore are books, events or conferences that will recharge him, fresh input from magazines that he loves to read, going to mentors that don't sap me. They don't, they don't suck the life out of him. You know, we've talked about that, you know, not just venting, but seeking support. But he's seeking support from these people that fill him emotionally as well as intellectually. He, he does something different. He says, doing something different is as good as a, as a nap, which I love that because a nap is also helpful sometimes too. He allows himself think time, turning it off and just thinking in the quiet. You know, and we're going to talk about self-care in the coming months, you know, going into summer. And this is something that is coming up over and over and over again, giving yourself time to reflect and think and problem solve with nothing around to distract you. He also says that he finds emotional fuel. So leaders run on this idea of emotional fuel. So intentional relationships that you bring into your life. Don't let all relationships be solely accidental. Bring intentional relationships into your life. So this is the whole idea of, of course, you don't get to choose who you teach with or who you work with or who's in your class. Those are incidental relationships. But you actually going out and seeking mentors models and heroes. And now that shouldn't be foreign to you. If you've listened to the podcast, it's, it's beginning back in September. We have talked many times on this podcast about needing to find people in our lives that are better than us at something or people that are modeling the type of behavior or the type of lifestyle that we want to live. Those heroes that we go to, and we, we pay attention to their stories and their trials and how they came through the other end, a hero. And don't forget about your inner circle. Those people that you can let your hair down with as well. You know, those people that know you better than 
anyone, you know, your family, your friends who you've had for 10 plus years. And of course, your mentees, you have people you may not even know it that are looking up to you. And he says he really thinks about those mentees as well. He says that mentees keep him straight. So he doesn't want to mess up. He wants to do well by them. He wants to set a good example for them as well, because they will sometimes go through burnout. They will go through hardship and he wants to model the proper ways to deal with it. And then, of course, remembering you are the average of the five people that you hang out with the most. Bring different types of mentors into your life who can help you grow. So he suggests these types of mentors. He has three of them, a communication mentor, a focus mentor, and a finance mentor. Now, these don't have to be hired help. These can be people in your life that you notice are just really great communicators, really great at focusing, really good with their money. Bring those people into your life. They're not just going to fall into your lap one day, although maybe they could literally do that. But remembering that you have to seek out that support that you really need. Okay, now let's switch over to his advice for classroom management. I love this so much. He really wants us to shift our perspective. Don't think control, think connect. Change classroom management to classroom connection. Really, truly listen. Listen to what students are struggling with and listen to their stories. And of course, I've said this before, build a bridge, not a wall. The second thing he suggested is don't think rules, think equations. So don't just add to the rules when someone makes a mistake. Clearly communicate your expectations. For example, if you do this, this will be the benefit. If you do this, this will be the consequence. Allow them to make the trade-off. It's up to you what you do, but you know what the result will be. Next is understanding before trying to understand. Give students a chance to share their side of the story. And of course, going back to co-regulation, you know, checking in, giving them the support that they need in the moment to be the most successful that they can. His last piece of advice was don't think engagement. Think student empowerment. So we have to switch from this idea of I'm going to get you engaged with my curriculum, my lesson plan, and what I want you to do. Instead, he's really encouraging us to think empowerment. We get on board with that with what they want to do. So it's, it's kind of this idea of, of course, we have standards. Of course, we have units of study. Of course, we have curriculum guides. But letting the students process it and do with it what they want after the lesson has been given. So much great information from Dr. Elmore today. And that's it for this week. So until next week, I wish you a career and life full of happiness and fulfillment. You just took another step to become a burned in teacher. Burn on everybody.